LBC. Three minutes after 12 is the time. Welcome to Mystery Hour, your weekly opportunity to achieve intellectual congress. To get an answer to the question that has had you puzzled for the longest time, or possibly just for the last 10 seconds. Either way, this is the place that you need to be. If you've got a question of who, or why, or what, or where, or when, or whither, even the occasional wherefore, then the number you need is 03456060973. Uh, I've got phone lines free. Apologies if you were still on the line waiting to talk about Donald Trump. Don't be surprised if we return to at least some of that territory tomorrow. But for now, it's all about Mystery Hour. It's, um... What do I always say if you're new to it? It's like the radio equivalent of those magazine and newspaper features where a reader writes in with a question and then waits weeks for an answer. Here, you only wait minutes. Why do we do that? What, what, what is the origin of that? Where does that come from? What was the, what was the uh, reason? Explain that to me. What's the true story, the history? Anything at all. It can be absolutely serious, quite academic. One of our most frequent contributors is the Professor of the Public Understanding of Science at the University of Brighton, although you can call him Hal. And equally, you can be asking a really silly question, like, do pigeons have regional accents? Okay? And anything goes. And if you hear someone ask a question to which you know the answer, ring in and provide it. And, and when I ask you what your qualifications are, so I sort of fell over a bit last week because I hadn't I'd underestimated how many new people would be listening. I don't mean just tell me what, what qualifications you've got. Well, I've got four GCSEs, uh, three O-levels and an A-level, James. What is the reason why you know what it is you've just told us? So if you ring in to answer a question about wildlife and the reason why you know the answer is because you've got a degree in veterinary science or because you watched David Attenborough last night, they're both equally valid. So when I say what are your qualifications to find out whether or not you can go definitive and get the uh, much sought-after mystery hour round of applause, then that's the point, isn't it? You, you, you've got to provide the answer, okay? And you do that in all the usual ways. The qualifications will prove how you know what you know. If we believe your qualifications, if we buy it, you get the round. I'll shut up, James, and get on with it. Susan Hendon. Sue, question or answer? It's a question. Carry on, Sue. Thank you, James. Um, Universities. When was the very first university opened? Do we need to define university or not? Or just the first place that Uh, called itself a university? I suppose so. The sort of higher education for lots of people, rather than, you know, kings and things would have had tutors. I've got the word Wittenberg in my head, but I've no idea why. (laughs) St. Andrews is very old. I know St. Andrews is very old, but I I, I could just keep saying university names. None of them are going to be right. So is Oxford and Cambridge, also very old, 1880-something. Oh, it's much older than that. Some of the colleges there were set up by by tutors. What, um, why do you want to know? I don't know. It just popped into my head. I like it. The very first university in the whole world, yeah? Or just in Britain? No, let's go for the whole world. Let's go for the whole world. Yeah, you're right. Let's aim high. What's the first university in the whole world? And, and it'd probably be nice to know when it was started as well. If you know the answer to that, then I've just explained what you need to do. Uh, Mick is in Slough. Mick, question or answer? It's a question, please, James. Carry on, Mick. Uh, when you jump into a swimming pool and you get water up your nose, or if you're in the bath and you get water up your nose, why do you get that intensive pain for about three or four seconds you, 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 you up you know i'm just thinking right? you mean up your nose that intensive pain yeah. that kind of eye watering what isn't it just because the nerve endings up your nose aren't really supposed to come into contact with liquid they only ever come into contact with air well that's a good question that's what i worry about because sorry that's why i'm asking, asking. Because it really does hurt when you get water up your nose and you see people jumping into swimming pools with their fingers pinched on their nose to stop to stop it the, the I think that's the reason, but you're not. I, I sense from your from your tone, Mick, you're not going to accept my expertise as, as, as sufficient for providing you with an answer to this question. 
No, I'm not, James. I'm sorry. No. no, that's quite all right. I'm getting used to it now after all these years. Mick, you're on. Why does it hurt so much when you get water up your nose? And where was the first university in the world? Seven minutes after 12 is the time. There you go. If you're new to this, you get it now. It's easy and, and rather fun. Kim's in Brixton. Kim, question or answer? Uh, question, please. Carry on, Kim. Okay. Why is it that some people get really badly mosquito bites and others don't? I went on a hen night and maybe half the girls, I mean, one of the girls looked like she had chicken pox, she was so badly bitten. Yeah. And my daughter gets bitten all the time and I'm lying and it doesn't happen. Why is that? I'm quite lucky with mosquitoes and Mrs O'Brien is not. And our children also, ah, you see? one gets bitten a lot and the other one doesn't. I've always thought it has something to do with the sweetness of our blood. Me too, but they obviously don't like mine and I eat lots of sweets. Okay, you're on. Okay, find out why. Why do mosquitoes prefer some people to others? I like that question, although I haven't checked the, the database for a while. I wouldn't be stunned or staggered if we hadn't done that before. What's the database? The database is the Mystery Hour archive over at lbc.co.uk if you uh, um, uh, want to find out what's gone on before. Because the only circumstances in which we won't take your question, I should have said this sooner, is if it's repetitious, i.e. if any of us can remember doing it, in the relatively recent past or we've got an eye on the archive at the website and we can see that we've done it before or if it's dull um i think these three are all right but occasionally a question squeaks through that really shouldn't have done people have taken their eye off the ball in the production studio and and, and we get some right old rubbish coming through during mystery hour i reserve the right to send you away with a flea in your ear if that happens if it's a question about motoring chances are it's dull or best way of explaining it is if somebody asks a question or you, you've got a question in your mind, but you can't really imagine anyone else being interested in the answer, that's probably dull too. William is in Yeovil. William, question or answer? Hi, James. Uh, I've got a question. Go on, then. Uh, basically, you know, TVs are getting better and better. You've got full HD and now 4K, and they're obviously going to get better and better over time. Yeah. But there's going to come a point at which the TV is going to outgrow the, what the human eye can actually take in, so there'll be no point in making it better. So I suppose, in short, what is the sort of resolution of the human eye? If you sort of see what I'm saying? I think I do. So, uh, w- I, 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 problem is, I don't know if resolution is the right word to describe the no, technological no, no. advances. Because what, what you're really saying is, is, is there a point at which the eye won't be able to keep up? I mean, speed-wise, there yeah, is. Yeah, there's going to be a point at which they're going to make TVs better and better quality, but there's going to come a point where there's no point going any further because the, the eye won't be able to take in that picture quality, if that makes sense. No, it does make it's sense, gonna... but it makes sense intuitively. I just don't know that either of us, and I don't mean to offend you by saying this, William, I don't know that either of us have got the, 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 the technical nails to put the question in a slightly more intellectual, not intellectual, just in a slightly more <laughs> I, no, I professional sounding way. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's why I had trouble with it, because obviously resolution is the wrong word. Uh, but maybe might not Professor Hallow, someone might, might be able to digest it. Yes, and, and what is it about the eye that would somehow... I mean, what would it be about the TV? Yeah, okay, so you mean like HD and SD, if it reaches a point where, all right, it does have a higher definition than it did last time, but the human eye can't actually compute it, whatever it is. Okay, when, when, yeah. when, when will TVs outstrip eyes? I love that question. I really hope it works. William, thank you. T- 10 after 12 is the time. 03456060973 is the number that you need. If you've got a question or if you can answer any of these questions, when and where was the world's oldest university founded? Why does getting water up your nose hurt so much? Why do mosquitoes prefer some humans so much more than others? If indeed they do, some early chatter on that question suggests it might be more complicated than it originally appeared. And... TVs in the human eye. Is there a point looming at which the human eye will be saturated by technology? It doesn't matter what you do to the telly now. It's reached the point where the clarity or, or, or the uh, dimensions of viewing 
um, have, have reached the maximum that the human eye can cope with? I really, really hope someone can answer that question. Connor is in Walton on Thames. Connor, question or answer? Hello, James. Hello, Connor. Um, I've got a question, and, well, yeah, my question is, um, <laughs> why do nursery rhymes always end in tragedies? Do they all end in tragedies? Uh, with, a, with a vast majority, yeah, they do. What do you think? Like Humpty Dumpty, it's kind of sad how he ended up. Uh, Jack and Jill didn't go too well. Didn't he get better? It started with a tragedy. He fell down the hill and broke his crown, but didn't he wrap it in vinegar and brown paper and he was all right by the end? Well, unless he was cooked, I imagine his insides were pretty all over the place. Right? I don't know if it ends in tragedy. Humpty Dumpty was, was, was based on a cannon that was on a castle wall that, that did fall off and smash to smithereens and no one could put it back together again. Or something like okay. that. What else? Give me some... I don't know if they do all end in tragedy. Hmm. Little um, Miss no, Muffet sat on a tuffet, eating her curds and whey. Down came a spider and sat down beside her and frightened Miss Muffet away. It might be a tragedy for yeah, Miss Muffet. Bitsy Bitsy spider as well. But the spider's laughing. The spider's got a big bowl of whey. It's no tragedy for the spider. Uh, yeah, it's Itsy Bitsy Spider. What happens to Itsy Bitsy Spider? Climbed the water spout, down came the rain and washed poor Itsy out. He doesn't down. mean he drowned, he just got washed out of a drain pipe. Are these tragedies? Well, yes, sir, yes, sir, three bags full, sir. Blah, blah, black sheep, have you any wool? Yes, sir, yes, sir, three bags full. One for my master, one for my dame, one for the little boy who lived down the lane. What's not to like? Everyone's got wool now. I don't think you thought this through, Connor. Uh, I would, I would say more than most. Right, well, let's work it out. Blah, blah, black sheep, win, okay? Little Miss Muffet, win for the spider, not so good for Miss oh, Muffet. no, that's not a win for it's the spider. It's a win for the spider, he's got a bowl of curds and, and whey. That's where I'm called. you gotta, you got to take into account the protagonist, not the spider. <laughs> Jack and Jill began with a tragedy, ended with a, with a touching bedside medical scene. Uh, I would say that's you taking it just to how And Humpty Dumpty, I've, I've told you, has a historical context. I just don't, I mean, I don't think there is a, even if there's, you know, even if you've got a preponderance of tragedy on your side, which frankly I dispute, even if it did turn out to be 60-40 in your favour, would that be enough to actually merit a question which would have an answer. Why are they all tragedies? Cautionary tales. Well, well, I think the question is worth. The yes. question is worth. Why are nursery rhymes, which are intended for children, yes, uh, why are they not the happy endings we would expect uh, of stories for children? I think I can answer that. Well, first of all, it's a relatively modern notion that children's stories should have happy endings. And in fact, the most successful of children's authors are the ones that really provide the horror. The, the, the Roald Dahls and the J.K. Rowling's don't pull back from absolute misery and horror in their stories. But I think. The answer to your question, if I accept it, which frankly is still under consideration, if I accept your question, the answer would be that they're often designed as cautionary tales. They're often designed okay. to, to encourage behaviours. So don't run down a hill really fast with a pail of water, otherwise you might fall over and b break your crown, you see? Um, yeah, don't sit on a wall if you're, if you're an enormous egg. Yeah, um... I'm not sure that the, the kids are learning too much from that one. Don't run down. Yeah, don't I'll, run. I'll tell you your point, James. Yeah, and don't don't eat uh, under a tree full of spiders. I'd like to know, however, if there is a. <laughs> I don't know who will provide you with it, but I'll, I'll put it on the board because they don't. But we will pretend that they do. Why, why are so many nursery rhymes unhappy? Uh, Twelve fifteen is the time you're listening to James O'Brien on LBC. This is LBC. LBC. 19 minutes after 12 is the time. The world's first university, when and where. Why does getting water up your nose hurt so much? Why do mosquitoes cause much more pain to some than to others? At what point does the television uh, reach the maximum that the human eye can cope with? And why do so many nursery rhymes involve tragedy? I'm going to let that stand, because the more I think about it, the more I see that 
Actually, a lot of them are. What about Ring a Ring of Roses? It was about the plague, wasn't it? I guess before we could all read and write, we just sort of recorded things by using little ditties and rhymes and songs. And nursery rhymes would have been one of the easiest ways to do that. But I'm thinking out loud. I want a definitive answer from someone who knows. Austin's in where? Austin, question or answer? I've got a question for you, James. Go on, then. Um, how long did giant house spiders live for? Why, why do you ask? <laughs> because I'm being plagued by them at the moment. Where I live in Hertfordshire, we're right on the river. Um, what is a giant house spider? Is that a specific species, giant house spider? Um, I believe so, yes. It is like your average house spider, but twice the size. <laughs> um, they, we just seem to have so many of them in our house, and it doesn't matter how many are killed. Well, it doesn't um, matter how long they live for then either, does it, if they're breeding? Well, see, that's another thing. I mean, do, how long does it take... Um, for them to die, and also, you know, do they breed at this time of year? And if so, how long does it take from a baby house spider to a? To All right. A well, I'll see. I'll try and get you the lifespan of a giant house spider, but I don't know that it's going to help you deal with them at all. <laughs> has anybody have, has anybody told you about conkers? Uh, I've tried so many different things, James. It's... I've even resorted to once I've killed one, leaving a part of the spider in the room. Like a warning uh, to the others. Exactly, on yeah. the theory that if you walked into a room and there was a, a human leg on the floor, you'd run a mile. <laughs> <laughs> I can't fault your logic, Austin. I think it's your understanding of the spider's brain that might need a little work. <laughs> hey, look, it's, it's desperate measures for me. Desperate measures. <laughs> oh, can check you leave a, which bit of the spider did you leave on the floor? Because... <laughs> well, it was kind of squash. Yeah. It was it's a, a dead one, dead a carcass, the whole corpse, a spider corpse, as a warning to the others. That he who enters here. All right, I'll, I'll try and get you the lifespan. But again, in terms of getting rid of them, does the does the conkers not work? I always was under the impression the conkers worked. No, don't fool yourself, James. Uh, uh, well, uh, maybe it's just a sheer scale. I've got of these uh, things, but the, the conkers don't work. How long? Me. How long have you listened? How long have you listened to the program, Austin? Um, probably about three years. Do you remember when I had chickens? It's about three. Do you remember when I had chickens at all? Yeah, yeah. Right, so it's about three years ago. Do you want to know a really, really embarrassing secret? Go on. I've got a metal bin at, behind the shed at the back of the garden where I used to keep the chicken food. And yeah. I, I only check it about twice a year. It's still got a little bit of chicken food detritus in the bottom. It's a metal bin, so no rats can get into it. I yeah. Last time I checked, I had, like, a spider colony in there. Oh. And some of them, some of them were the size of your fist. It <laughs> sounds similar to my one. Well, that, that, there, you, there you go. So we'll find out. I mean, the, the worst case scenario is I'll do a little experiment for you uh, during the Christmas holidays. But in the meantime, I, I don't know. How long does a giant spider live for? Let's find out for Austin. He's under siege. 12.23 is the time. Martin is in Midhurst. Martin, question or answer? I have a question for you, Mr. James Lowe, on LBC. <laughs> Bring it on. <laughs> I was listening to the radio last week, uh, uh, a song, why well, you wasn't on, of course. Uh, oh. uh, cloud Nine. Yes. It was uh, rhyming, and why the term Cloud Nine? No one at Cloud Five, Eight, Ten. I know this. Cloud Nine. I know this. There is some dispute. I'm going to get a round of applause, Mark. Get ready, please. There's some dispute over where it began. Like, Cloud Atlases are actually a thing, you know, when you, you, you different types of cloud get described. Right. The highest cloud is the ninth it's called oh, i'll get this Stratus, no it's, it, it's either nimbostratus or cumulus excuse me a second cumulus <coughs> shush cumulus. stop it <laughs> it's either nimbostratus 
or cumulonimbus. I can never remember which way around it is. And that is the ninth cloud in the kind of stratosphere of clouds, the hierarchy of clouds. Oh, go, the highest cloud is the highest stroke happiest you can be. Well done. Man of applause. Thank you very much. A bit, a bit thin on the ground lately. I'm sort of engaging in a little bit of ego management during Mystery Hour, but I, I do prefer it when I fill my pockets. Uh, thank you very much, Martin. 24 minutes after 12 is the time. Emma is in Chertsey. Emma, question or answer? Answer. Bring uh, it on. The uh, oldest university in the world is Bologna in Italy. Oh, is it? Not Padua? It no. How do you know? What are your qualifications? Uh, well, I knew you were going to ask me these kind of questions and try <laughs> and get me look daft, more daft than I am. Um, about 20 years ago at university, I did a course on the history of universities. And I remember it being <laughs> Bologna, but I can't remember why it's not Padua. But I know it's Bologna, and about 100 years later was uh, Oxford. It was the first one in this country. Do you remember when it was Bologna? The end of the 11th century. And was it set up by aristocrats or the Medicis or someone like that? Mm, isn't or it too early for Medicis? It was set up to study law, I know that much. Oh, okay. The thing is, I think you're right, but you've made a very poor show of enforcing your credentials, Emma. I've I've got a degree in medieval history and everything. No, I just can't remember the precise date. You're going all in on Bologna, absolutely certain it's Bologna. I'm definitely, absolutely sure it's Bologna, because my dad's Italian as well, so I remember stuff like that. Yeah, right, there you go. Um, When you did your degree, I did an A-level in medieval history. Does Does your degree ever come in useful? Yeah, I work in a museum. There you go. I, fairly, I work on a radio useful. station. There's less call for an understanding of Charlemagne and the Carolingian decline. <laughs> round of applause <laughs> for round of applause for Emma. I don't use it that much. Yay! Thank you. On tomorrow's show, I will be doing the Merovingians and the Carolingians. So you better ring in, Emma. Otherwise, it's going to be a very lonely experience. Hey, it'll be you and me then. <laughs> Twenty-six minutes after twelve. Walid is in Coventry. Walid, question or answer? Answer, James, and it's going to refute Emma's. Oh, no. Bring her back. Bring Emma back. We've got a steward's <laughs> inquiry. Well, Lee, what do you want to say? I was getting on so well with Emma as well. What do you want to, What is uh, it? Right. Um, I think Bologna is the oldest in Europe, but the oldest in the world is El Carriouin in Morocco, in <sighs> Fez. God, we've gone Eurocentric, haven't we? I can, I can qualify that, though, because um, being a Muslim, I'm quite interested in Islamic history. Now, um, you know the graduation caps has that bit of string on it? Yeah. It's like the a fez. Of that, it, 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 like a fez. Yeah. Right? And the, the connotation of that is because uh, in because the uh, Al Karimi was an, uh, an uh, institution for Islamic, uh, well, uh, Islamic institution of knowledge, and uh, that bit of string actually comes uh, from the bookmark in the Quran. So when you have the when you have a copy of the Quran, it has a bookmark which is a string, which is a connotation. Shut of the front door. Shut the front door. Whereabouts in Morocco yeah. was it? Fez. Which is, uh, and no, again, what, hats, I think that has that connotation. No, what was the thing you said? You said the name of the university. Uh, 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 the, the Arabic is El Karayouin. That's all right, I can cope with that, El Karayouin. And do we know when it was founded, roughly? Sorry, I know you've said all this, but I was just a goggle at your knowledge. I think it was the 800s or the 900s, and I think Bologna was not far away, but we're talking... Emma, Emma was back on 1100. Emma, I think you might have gone a little bit Eurocentric. Oh, why? What do you? What was he? Well, he, well, he, well, he's got so one in. Well, he's got one in Fez from the ninth century. Really? No. Uh-huh. Well, a proper university, what we call yeah. university. Yeah. Today. Yeah, yeah. They, they, they still serve. They, they're still granting uh, degrees today. So I think that's the uh, criteria that we're trying to hit. Oh, is he's it? good. He's good. <laughs> wow. 
I don't know about that. Certainly, when when I went to university, that wasn't mentioned. No. Well, probably because we were still pursuing quite Eurocentric curricula. What, you're saying that I'm I'm that old? No. Not that old. I was the same age as you. Well, let's not go down that road. (laughs) I'm getting a a lot on on Bologna being the oldest in Europe, which probably in 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 our youth we just somehow filed away in our heads as oldest rather than qualified by in Europe. Fair enough, then. I shall bow to uh, Waleed. knowledge. Okay, I'm going to give... You can keep your round of applause, Emma, but I need a new one, please, Mark, for Waleed. <laughs> oh, hang on. What are your qualifications? Uh, uh, practicing Muslim, obviously, people ask what the Muslim world given to the Western world, and that's one of them. Fair play. Of uh, a very useful thing to study, actually, given that the, 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 the narrative abroad at the moment is the polar opposite of usefulness. 859 AD, I'm told, was the, uh, was the year that just, just, just eluded you, and that definitely trumps Bologna. 29 minutes after 12 is the time. Questions that still need answers. That was lovely. Why does your nose hurt so much when you get water up it? Um, why do mosquitoes hurt? Mosquitoes and humans. Why doesn't everybody get equal treatment? Uh, at what point will the human eye uh, kind of cease to keep up with TVs? How close are we to a TV that is as clear as can be? Nursery rhymes and tragedies and the lifespan of a giant spider. It's coming up to half past 12. You are listening to James O'Brien on LBC, where I can tell you now we've got massive consensus on the question of that university. So we've definitely gone definitive on that one. Um, if you want to get involved, if you can answer any of the questions I've just reminded you of, the number you need is 0345 973 is the number that you need. And the... Oh, I don't take texts and tweets, really, during Mystery Hour, but if you want to send me some compliments and some love, you can tweet at Mr. James O.B. You don't have to even wait while I'm on air. You can do it all the time. It is now half past 12, and Simon Conway's here with the headlines. Donald Trump will go to the White House later to meet President Brian on LBC. You are listening to James O'Brien on LBC. 33 minutes after 12 is the time. Questions that still need answers uh, involve mosquitoes, noses, televisions, the human eye, nursery rhymes and spiders. You can fill in your own gaps in a moment. Steve is in Maidstone. Steve, question or answer? It's a question, please, James. Good afternoon. Carry on, Steve. Thank you. Um, Who has the final say on the colour and the design of a goalkeeper's kit? Because, like... Liverpool's always red and Chelsea's blue and England's white and so on and so forth. But in the past, there's been quite a few goalkeeper skits that I've seen that you would never choose as a as a design. Now, is it the manufacturer or is it the goalkeeper? And then if it's the goalkeeper, is it the first choice keeper and then the second and third choice keeper have to just wear what, what, what they're told to wear? Would it not just be whoever's done the whole kit? I mean, because you say red, white, and whatever, but the the strip changes every every season these days. Oh yeah, yeah, granted, but variations on on fundamental colours. But they've got to be designed by someone, and then they, that, that designer just gets to throw in a random keeper's jersey as well. But is it is it random though? This is the thing because if you you are just that one position in that one, I mean, I, I don't know whether the goalkeeper's got some kind of a say in it. Do they? influence the design i don't I, I mean i love the like question purple and it, a purple one. I, I love the question it can't there's going to have to be something taken into account like every other color the reason why they end up with some weird ones is because they have to be distinguishable from every other outfield strip in the league don't they yeah, other, I, I remember there was a i think there was one a few years like it was the mexico one it was all like fluorescent yellow and green and pink and whatever else um, and I just wondered if the, the keepers had some kind of influence I on the very, design. very much doubt it, but I'll put the question out there. I, I, I like the Cheers, question as a, as a former goalkeeper. I, I, I like that question, but um, I'd be very surprised if the goalie gets asked for his thoughts on what colour his, his shirt's going to be. 
Well, you might not like purple, and then maybe... I don't know. They, they were all yellow when I was a kid. Yellow or yeah, green. yellow and green. Mm. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, because yeah, I, I, was, I, was I was a goalkeeper as a kid as well. And I guess they had to change that because outfield players started wearing similar... similar like, I mean, you couldn't have a yellow goalie if you were playing Norwich. Yeah, that's right. And then there was... There was, there was the, the, the reason why they had long sleeves was because if an arm goes into the ball, like, years ago... Uh, they they would see the sleeve, so they knew that it wasn't a handball uh, from a player. Oh yeah, stuff like that as well. Oh, I like that history of goalkeeping strips. Who'd have known it could keep us engaged for so long? I and mean, we haven't finished yet. <laughs> we want to find out. Does the goalie have any say? Because sometimes they wear some right old weird stuff. Seriously, kind of you know. Do you know since all the scandals broke about 1970s celebrities, you have to rewrite your points of reference when it comes to describing horrible sort of leisure wear and stuff like that you can imagine who i was about to mention there before my sort of lizard brain kicked in and went no 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 Twelve thirty-six is the time alex is in birmingham question or answer alex answer james please yes go on um so it's for the the eyes and the tvs oh yeah um yeah so it, it, there, there is a point where your eyes won't keep up and to, to an extent it's already happened so with, with the new kind of 4K TVs that you can get now, if you were to, for example, uh, go into uh, a local shop and buy a 50-inch 4K TV, unless you're sat sort of less than around about two metres from the screen, the difference from 1080p HD to 4K HD isn't going to be perceptible. So it's all to do with how big the screen you buy is and how close you, you, you sit to it. it um, is there a point of... Go on. No, I was going to say, obviously, now we're getting things like VR headsets where the screen are a couple of inches away from your, your eyes. Yes. Then, then there becomes a need for higher resolutions. But with your average TV, you know, given you know, the size of your average person's living room and, and, and whatnot, there will come a point, and for a lot of people, it's probably already come because they're only going to have a TV that's so big and they're only going to be able to sit so far. Uh, so, so, you know, so. I so think close you've done it. it. I don't do for me. What are your qualifications? Um, I worked in a uh, the country's leading electrical retailer for six years, and I'm I'm now also an animator. We do stuff for TV, so I, I deal in sort of resolutions and oh, brilliant, a lot. brilliant. Yeah, that'll do. Round of applause for Craig, please. I mean Alex. I mean Alex. Yeah, thank Sorry. you. No, why do you say? Why is the country's leading electrical retailer these days? Is it still Curry's? It, it, it would still be Curry's after the. the the you know the demise of comet i mean you, you now you get you know you get sort of supermarkets that are trying to sort of muscle in but it's uh, all online now as well be, yeah, yeah i mean there'll, there'll still always be a you know a place for people wanting to go and see tvs in the flesh show and things like that so things like that i think there'll always be a you know a curry's or, or someone like i hope it. so i hope so we talk a lot on the program about the demise of, of, of high streets and shopping and, and and like you i sort of cling to the notion that they can't always completely disappear but i'm not not necessarily confident thank you i'm digressing furiously do we give alex's round of applause Give him another one for being such a top lad. Well done. Craig's in Farnborough. Craig, question or answer? Answer, James. Bring it on. Bring it on. Um, tragedies and children's tales. Tragedy? Sorry. Carry on. <laughs> yes. Um, tragedies and nursery rhymes, children's rhymes. What have you got? It's, um, yeah, it's, it's more um, children's literature in general. It used to be a lot worse than what it is now. Sure but did. The... the um, um, idea behind it is to introduce children to the tragedies of the world and yeah. keep it at a distance so when they um as they're you know younger they they're still sort of happy with life but then they know about the tragedy but it's at a safe distance and then they can take on board the tragedies of the world as they grow older and learn how to manage it better 
So, I mean, I, I use the phrase cautionary tales, which is which is part of it. And Connor, who asked the question, probably should have broadened it beyond nursery rhymes right through into the Brothers Grimm, Hans Christian Andersen, all that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. Don't don't talk to strangers. You know, I mean, these these are messages that that are driven home with the most brutal of of, of intent, aren't they? Yeah, absolutely. Don't go into gingerbread houses. I've, that certainly worked on me. I've never been into a gingerbread house. Have you? Um, well, I'd like to one day. <laughs> what are your qualifications? <laughs> um, I learned that in my um, psychotherapy training, and they they use that concept a lot in play therapy, where oh, really? they let the, 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 the child sort of play. And, you know, a lot of people get worried about the things kids are drawing, but then in therapy, a lot of people um, let the kids sort of get on with it and express it and keep the tragedy at a distance. And it's the same concept there as in nursery rhymes and wow. children's literature. Oh, brilliant answer. Round of applause for Craig. 20 minutes to one is the time. Kate's in Leeds. Kate, question or answer? Hi, James. Um, I've got a question for you. Carry on, Kate. Um, so I just wanted to know why, even though during our life we get loads of different injections, it's only the BCG mark that's on the top of our arms. Uh, wh why is that the only one that leaves a mark? Yeah, because we get loads of different ones, you know, when you go on holiday or, you know, different immunizations, but it's only that BCG mark. Yeah, OK. I mean, it's, I'm not going to lie to you, Kate. It's not the most exciting question we've ever had on the programme. <laughs> Have you? Are you no, troubled? I mean, I are you troubled by your own mark? Is that why you're asking? Well, I've got two younger brothers who came to visit me um, a couple of weeks ago, and they were asking me about it. Oh, well, we'll get you an answer then. When we had it at boarding school, it was considered hilarious to try and punch each other on the uh, on the BCG scar immediately after it had been administered. But don't tell oh, you okay. don't tell your little brothers about that. Yeah, why is the BCG mark? Is it, is it still still a thing? I mean, do, will younger listeners recognise it? Tuberculosis that it's for TB. Yeah, I mean, my two younger brothers are seven and nine, and they've got them, so... OK, cool. Let's get yeah. it. Find out, and then you can pretend that you knew all along next time you see them. Well, I get them to listen to Mystery Hour, so... Do you? Hello. What, on the podcast? <laughs> yeah. What are, their, what are their names? Uh, James and Ollie. Hey, James. Hey, Ollie. You've got a quality sister there. You keep following her advice on what you should be listening to on your podcasts. <laughs> Kate, thank you. Yeah. I will do my best to get you an answer in return for you doing so much marketing on my behalf. 12.42 is the time. Stuart is in Hemel Hempstead. Stuart, question or answer? I think I've got an answer, mate. You think you have? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. All right, then. Okay, for the mozzie one. Yeah. Okay. The reason that some people get a bit more and is because of pheromones. Because of what? The, uh, pheromones. The pheromones which exist on yeah. your body. Yeah. Yeah. Is the, the mosquitoes are more attracted to... Basically, the more pheromones you give off, the more they're attracted to you, therefore, the more they bite you. Are you sure? What are your qualifications? Qualifications were, I used to manage an outdoor store. We used to sell mosquito spray, so I got the people who supplied it to come in and train me and the staff on, why, on how it works. Really? Yeah. That's, pr that's pretty powerful, because I, I, I was persuaded by the argument that actually we all get bitten pretty much the same. It's just that some of us come out in bigger hives than others. I mean, it could be. I mean, the way they explained it to me was that Basically, when you put the mosquito spray on, you're creating a mask over your pheromones, so they're just going to go for the next uh, target, which is exuding more pheromones. <sighs> put me on the spot a bit here, Stuart. Well, you're the boss. Well, that's very kind of you to say so. It's quite a good way to make sure you get a round of applause as well. <laughs> 
Thank you very much. It's BCG marks, goalkeepers, the lifespan of a spider. Uh, done the nursery rhymes, done the human eye. Done. I think we've done the mosquitoes. I'll put it in square brackets. Why does our nose hurt so much when we get water up it? Who chooses a goalkeeper's kit? Do the goalies have any say? A few of you are pointing out that Peter Cech seemed to be, usually during his Chelsea days at least, wearing similar coloured shirts. So maybe they do get a say. And why is BCG the only injection to leave a scar? Mike's in Twickenham. Mike, question or answer? Uh, answer. Carry on, Mike. Uh, giant house spiders. Yes. The expected lifespan depends whether they're male or female. Uh, females live an awful lot longer than males. Typical. Um, reason being that uh, once they reach maturity, the male house spider, and indeed uh, most spiders, um, is only interested in mating and doesn't get to shed its skin again. Oh, is um, that right? So they'll only live for a few months, but the females, which you're far less likely to see, because um, they'll generally be tucked away somewhere under your floorboards, can live for up to six years. And... Do they have multiple partners during that period? They will do, yes. So during that six years, your poor man who's trying to get rid of them from his house, she could be knocking out baby spiders like it's going out of fashion. If she's lucky, yeah. Why lucky? Um, well, she's uh, hoping that the males will actually find her and that uh, your previous caller isn't murdering them. <laughs> yes, of course, there is that possibility. But if he wants to get rid of the spiders, he needs to find the mothers. Um, yeah, although I would suggest leaving them, really. They're not dangerous. In fact, we've got no dangerous UK spiders. Um, and probably what they're eating, um, which is any sorts of little crawling things, um, quite glad, is quite a lot worse to have around your house yeah, than spiders. Yeah, doing a good service. I like it. Unless you're terrified of spiders, I suppose. What are your qualifications? Um, been keeping tarantulas for 20 years, and I give talks on UK spiders and arachnophobia. Mm, I think as qualifications go... Does that get? I think that gets a Ray, doesn't it? Does that get a Ray Liotta moment? I think it yeah, does. I think, so. I think you're right. I'm Ray Liotta, and you're listening to James O'Brien on LBC. If you build it, they will come. Well played, Mike. Get a spider question. Get a tarantula man in. Uh, let's build it. They will come territory. Twelve forty-five is the time. You're listening to James O'Brien on LBC. J. Louise Knight is here now with your travel news. Thank you, James. Good afternoon. Well, in Croydon... LBC. 12.50 is the time you're listening to James O'Brien on LBC, where we find ourselves contemplating questions at the moment about the BCG jab and goalkeepers. Uh, spiders we've done. Um, mosquitoes, I think, might come back. And I also want to know why it hurts so much when you get water up your nose. But we've got, questions. We've got room for a couple more questions. If you can answer any of those, get through now. You will get through. Come on. Jump to it. 03456060973 is the number that you need. Pearl is in Dagenham. Pearl, question or answer? Hello. Question or answer, Hello, Pearl? James. Hello, uh, What I'd like to know is mm. um, why... It's certain music that I listen to, hmm. and I'll get goosebumps. Do you? Yes. I do as well. Yes. Do you? Yeah, what gets you? It's more operatic music. Oh, blimey. And it's, it's just certain, I can listen to lots of music, but just one certain song can come on, and I'll get goosebumps. A certain passage, and you'll get it every time, it's, it's, or most times. It's a passage of music that just affects yeah, you. Yeah, it's just, a, just a classical music. And I can just listen to that, and I'll get goosebumps all over my body. And is there um, a Proustian association with it? Is it, is it? is it like, it reminds you of, I don't know, a, the best kiss you ever had or something like that, because that music I was... No, I, I don't really know. I don't know either. I'm sorry, that was a bit of an inappropriate really question. Let me rephrase that. that. The best biscuit you ever had. <laughs> it might be, but it's just... And I have to listen con- intently. Because I feel that I'm in the song. That's how I feel. 
Yeah, you're do on. Do you understand what I mean, James? No, I do. Of course I do. I know what goosebumps are. I know what music is. I'm not. I'm not I can. I can knit the two together and understand what you mean, Paul. I was a bit. You put me on my back foot when you said operatic. I was about to start talking about Mike and the Mechanics. <laughs> Bless you. No, it's it's always something that's a slow, uh, very slow song, but deep. Yes, and then I can get goosebumps. Start from the top and go through my body. And then I can hear another song yeah. and know. Nothing. Nothing going on if at you all. you know what I mean. I know exactly certain, what you mean. Well, yeah, what yeah. triggers it? A physical reaction to, 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 a, to a sonic experience, to, to music. What is the... Uh, yeah, why? Why does it happen at certain times? Because it won't happen to everybody, otherwise you wouldn't be asking a question. You go, why does everybody get the goosebumps when the right same piece of music comes on? Is it personal? Is it is it biological? Is it chemical? Pearl, that is a lovely question. I wish you'd gone a little sooner. So, come on, pay Pearl. I didn't even do the Pearl as a singer joke. Oh three four five six oh six oh nine seven three is the number you need. We want to get an answer to Pearl's question. Why does she get goosebumps when she hears certain passages of music? Tim is in Birmingham. Uh, question or answer, Tim? Question and challenge and answer you've got. Whoa, have you cleared that with the producer? Uh, no, I didn't. Sorry, no, mate. So very strict rules, very strict rules for stewards' inquiries. What's your question? What's your question? He's gone out. He just drove out of his own. I could actually hear it happening. Uh, Raj, that's why we don't... Anyway, Raj is in Hemel Hempstead. Raj, question or answer? Uh, answer. Carry on. Um, it's the BCG vaccine. Yes, why is it the only one that leaves a scar, such a visible scar? Okay. Um, some vaccines are, you know, dead bacteria or, or viruses, whereas some vaccines are live um, organisms, like bacteria. Um, so what you do is you, you make it um, less potent, so it's called a live attenuated vaccine. That's, that's BCG. Um, so it's got, it's got live, bac- live bacteria, but it doesn't cause the illness because you attenuate it. And the BCG stands for Bacillus calmaturin. Uh, so it's a, it's a specific strain of uh, the, uh, the, the bacteria. And Has it got nothing uh, to do with being interdermal, intradermal, where the actual... Yeah. So, 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 so most vaccines are given intramuscular. Um, BCG is given under the skin. So, so, so that's yes. why you have, you have the reaction under the skin, which then le- leads to scar tissue. And what are your um, qualifications? Um, <laughs> I'm a doctor. That'll do. Why are you laughing? No, no, no. It's it's um, it's 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 got an advantage. The scar has an advantage. Um, like countries where, uh, like in India, um, the scar you can you can check whether people are vaccinated because the scar is visible. So, and that's why it's always given on the same side, same arm, under the skin. So you can you can check if the vaccination is done. Um, so, so it, it does have an advantage. I know it's. Some people don't like the scar, but actually it does have a, an advantage, even though it's not intended. You're on. I, and I mean, it's a perfect qualification of all. A lovely answer. A round of applause for Raj. Is it James and Oliver that are getting that answer as well? I, I trust that's satisfactory, James and Oliver. If you're listening on the podcast, your sister Kate has secured you the knowledge that you need. Danny is in Ashford. Danny, question or answer? I have a question, James. Go on, then. Um, it's not one of my own, actually. I nicked this off a of Facebook. One of my friends asked it yesterday. Yeah, go on then. And um, so it's not original. It's, um, if you was unfortunate enough to lose both your legs in an accident or something, yeah, and you went to get new artificial legs fitted, could you make yourself a little bit taller? Yeah. Like if you was, if you was previously five foot four, you fancied being a five foot twelve. Well, you could. I mean, that would be quite a leap, wouldn't it? But you could. Do you know how I know? How? Because do you remember when? Um, Oh, crikey, it's amazing how reputations change, isn't it, over the course of time. I've forgotten the name of the South African... 
Oscar Pistorius. Do you remember when he Pistorius? Do you remember when he lost? Yeah, what, uh, it's called Kaiso. No, he, when he lost the, the Olympics, the Paralympics, yeah. when he got beaten by a fella, and the accusation was that the fella who beat him had got really extra long legs, much longer than he'd been using in practice. Ah, right, okay, so it's a yes then. That'll do, won't it? Brilliant, thank you. No, you're very welcome. Round of applause for me. <laughs> Michael's in Victoria. Michael, question or answer? I've got an answer, James. Carry on, Michael. Uh, it's in relation to the uh, music question that previous caller to call the Why does Pearl get goosebumps? Uh, it's, I hope I can use this word for this time of the day, but it's actually what's called a skin orgasm. No, you're making we, stuff up now. I, I you can't come on. What? <laughs> God, you just, you're prank calling me now. Um, <laughs> I wish I was. Really? The, 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 the posh term is frisson. Why didn't you say so, that then, oh, instead of talking about skin orgasms, you freak? Because I didn't want to be a show off too early. All right then, go on. Uh, so it's, it's uh, I read it in a new new blah, neurological book. Easy for you to say. So, uh, yeah, uh, it's a French term that means aesthetic chills, and it's basically also they. It was there was also a point in there that that tells you about blood rushing around away from or towards your brain, which leaves your body, which also chills you and cools you down, which will cause goosebumps. Wow. Wow. Do we know why? Mm. Um, that I can't quite remember. Something to do with pleasure centres, won't it be? It just it just pushes buttons the same way. I suppose we can all eat something the same and we'll all react to it differently, won't we? Uh, you might like the taste of something. Personally, I can't stand marzipan, Michael. Where do you stand on marzipan? <laughs> uh, marzipan, I don't don't particularly mind, but we're coming around to Christmas, so... Sure, yeah, you probably... Whereas I'll peel it off my fruitcake, actually, before I eat it. So there you go. I mean, and that play means that if, for example, Pearl heard Maninov's Piano Concerto Number no. 2, she might have... I can't. She sounded like a very respectable lady. She might have a friss on. I'm not going to accuse her of having skin orgasms every time Rachmaninoff's <laughs> on the radio. What are your qualifications? You told us. You read a new... 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 new a book. I got. A, I read a book from the. Uh, I was given a book actually. I picked up. I'm a cab driver. I picked up a lady from the uh, neurological uh, hospital in Queen Square, and oh, I yeah. just happened to read the book that is and brilliant. came across it. And it stuck in my mind. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant! And a round of applause for Michael. And he's absolutely right. I just, I just broke the golden rule of mystery hour and, and, and googled skin orgasms. I might leave that on Steve Allen's search history. It's coming up to twelve fifty nine. You're listening to James O'Brien on LBC. Last word on this to Paul in Slough. Keep it quick, Paul. James has got an answer regarding the goalkeepers. Yep. Uh, the goalkeeper, in fact, any of the outfield players don't get a choice. It's actually already made up for them. Whoever the kit goes to, it just goes to regardless of colour. But there's a fascinating history to goalkeeper shirts. It really is. It just used to be a plain colour, yellow or green. Then a little company in the Midlands started designing kits, more flamboyant kits in the 70s, and the colours started to change. But then when the big boys got involved, the large manufacturers, they did a study on colours and they noticed that fluorescent colours people are drawn to. So they decided to start introducing fluorescent colours to it. goalkeepers. Mate, you're a genius, but we're out of time. What are your qualifications? Uh, qualified FA coach. Are you really? I am indeed. Fantastic. Yeah. And what's, it, surely that Mexican keeper, in that, which I'm about to tweet a picture of, I'm pretty sure he designed that himself. It's, it's horrible. <laughs> yeah, well, who knows? I've got to go. Sheila Fogarty's just done that arched eyebrow look at the <laughs> clock. Paul, apologies. Round of applause for Paul. The eyebrow is arched.
Sheila is in the building. I'll be back tomorrow morning from 10. I did not, you big liar. <laughs> Thank you, James. Now, what is it about opposition parties in Europe and America that's leaving voters quite so cold? Hillary couldn't reach her heartland voters. What do Labour need to do to be listened to again by their traditional working voters? An American woman 